You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Virtually Possible podcast. As of February, we're moving to the bi-weekly episode schedule and also slightly changing the format of the podcast to the 531 scheme. Five questions to our wonderful guests, three questions from the VP Roulette, and one question my guests can ask me. Speaking of guests, today I'm sitting down with Max Brenzel, the co-founder of Plant Club, Berlin-based startup reinventing the corporate and individual plant renting space. From simple and beautiful to most extraordinary arrangements, Plan Club can help you make your office everyone's favorite place to work. In the times of pandemic, they've also launched their home office offer, which we'll talk about in a bit as well. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We've met actually just very briefly over LinkedIn when I noticed your company somewhere in the feed, I think. But your story is very interesting from the classic startup career to going into a very sustainable new business. So I wanted to start off with the first question and talking about the Berlin startup scene. And maybe you can give us a little bit of a background of how you came to become a co-founder of Plant Club. Sure, happy to. So I moved to Berlin in 2016. My first touch points with the Berlin startup scene were actually a little bit before that. I was working with Allianz X, the corporate venturing arm of Allianz in Munich during my university time and looking at a lot of startups and different verticals that were sort of more related to Allianz, Allianz's core business, including fintech, insurtech. And at the time, this was in 2015, I also came across N26, for example. So that, that time at Allianz really uh, introduced me to the, to the startup scene and doing a lot of research there on, on, on early stage companies was quite helpful um, to get an overview. And that's basically how that started. I then moved to Berlin in 2016 to join N26, ended up staying longer than expected uh, for around two and a half years, worked on, on a lot of the early international expansion, had a great time there, saw the company grow from around 100 to 1,500 people, and then decided it was time to move on and join an earlier stage company again, made the switch to micromobility, where I was working for the majority of 2019. And then finally, end of 2019, founded Plant Club together with a former colleague and friend from my times at N26. Okay, yeah, that's a very nice roundup, very neatly done. Where did the whole idea of Plant Club come about? Because it's very different from tech and fintech and, and banking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it seems a bit random at first, but basically both my co-founder Jack and I, we had sort of, he actually worked at another fintech after N26 um, over in the US. And so we both had the very clear idea that we want to do something outside of fintech. And we also had the idea that we would like to explore something in B2B. And he was initially doing some user research and he was getting sort of inspiration on Dribble and platforms like that. And he was looking initially at the sort of plant related space on the B2C side and thinking about, okay, can we build an app there? Or can we build like a smart device? And we basically came to the conclusion that that technology or that application of technology is at a very, very early stage. And we didn't really see the value that we can create there. So then the user research shifted to B2B. And that's sort of around the time that, that we also started talking about launching something together. And we then landed on, on Plant Club with the focus on the B2B subscription model because it was A, something very different to FinTech and B, a model that would allow us to bootstrap and build a company in a very sustainable way. Obviously having worked before in very venture-driven 
fast-paced, high-growth environments. So we were really looking to build a project or environment for ourselves that was very, very different from what we had done before to set ourselves up for learning as much as possible. Yeah, that and not burning out in <laughs> two years. But yeah, you guys seem to be riding the waves of all the newest trends, right? Subscription models, the club, clubhouse, plan club, everything together. And so you mentioned that you decided to bootstrap the company. So what was the motivation behind that as opposed to maybe getting funding? Because I, I also imagine that with both of your extended networks, getting anyone to invest would be super easy. Yeah, so our motivation was basically to be very independent because we had seen before that obviously with with a lot of funding also comes a lot of uh, responsibility and a certain amount of outside influence through board seats, etc. That, that you have to give up in exchange of that funding. And so we really wanted to have total independence in the beginning, be able to sort of really set our, our own goals, our own strategy and be very, very realistic in our approach there. So not promise anyone wild mm. numbers uh, in an Excel sheet mm. that, that we then couldn't or could hardly reach. That being said, we are by now supported financially a little bit by some angels from our network on a small scale. And those were people who were sort of really involved at different stages of us launching Plant Club and really gave great input and helped us with the expertise and network in different areas. So they are supporting us. And then uh, we're also part of the Berlin Founders Fund which is uh, an equity-free kind of funding program here in Berlin. So we do have a, a little bit of um, financial support on that side. Okay. So that allows you to run the business in a more relaxed fashion, I imagine, yeah. as well. So how does one start with the type of business that you're running? Because it also requires for you to buy a lot of inventory and then reach out to partners. Did you guys, um, <laughs> I was going to say, was the first purchase that you made some plants at Mauer Park or where did you go to get them? Um, yeah, that's actually one of the things that I really enjoy about um, the B2B side of things is that you can you can kind of build, obviously, you can spend much more time on building individual customer relationships. And that's how we started um, growing in a very organic way, meaning that our first or many of our initial user research conversations then converted into early customers. And, and that happened very quickly. So we weren't like, we didn't have the company set up we didn't have a, a company bank account open, so we really had to improvise. It wasn't as bad as buying plants um, at, at Mauer Park, but um, <laughs> we, ha we, we had to be pretty flexible in the beginning. And then we did it uh, just project by project. So we, we really just did everything super hands-on. We started recruiting people from our network, worked with uh, a couple of freelance designers who helped us sort of create visually appealing concepts for um, office plants and greening. And then we just really did it project by project and started in a super organic uh, way. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to ask about the reasons why it matters that people care about having plans. I'm terrible with plans, all my plans die. Uh, eventually, even though I got this one and this has been with me and steadily growing for the past six months. So maybe I'll manage to keep that one alive. But why does it matter that, that people are surrounded by green and by plants wherever they are? Yeah, good, good question. And I think there's, there's multiple answers to that um, because we, we work with a range of companies really sort of ranging from, I think, 15 to uh, more than a thousand people. Um, and I think generally for smaller startups that we work with our, our offering is really um, helpful for them because they don't have to invest a lot of money up front and they don't have to take care of the plants because 
I mean, resources are just not there in the beginning, right, for many startups. And then for larger companies, it's really having a professionally styled workplace. So they really care about the design focus that we can bring. And that just goes beyond having someone from your team go pick up plants at Ikea, right? So that's then kind of a shift that we see in the motivation that companies have. And I would say what all of our customers have in common is that they are usually companies who really are very employee focused. They really see the value in employee retention, employee motivation. And uh, I think I think that's great to see that there are so many companies out there that really, really care about that. Yeah, I think we're guilty. I remember in my previous company, we were very motivated to get plans and we did that and then they all died. And I read on your website that note when you say that it's worse to have dying plans than having no plans. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we also see a little bit of the sustainability angle come in, right? Because that's a very common problem that we saw in the user research early on. And Obviously, it's not great if you have these buy and replace cycles every six months or so. I mean, we, we really try um, to keep plants alive for, for longer. And that starts in the very first step with, with the design. So which, which plants do you choose? Where do you place them? And that's sort of what our, what our designers are working on and experts in. And then the second bit is, is obviously the, the ongoing care of those plants. Mm. Maybe you can walk us through how you usually work with partners and how that partnership starts and what are the questions that you're asking and how people should be thinking of designing their workspace with you in mind? So I think first we have lots of different ways that companies get in touch with us. So that's obviously through channels like LinkedIn, where you found us and where we try to put out relevant content that's through partnerships, referrals, um, and then a little bit of paid advertising here and there that we're experimenting with. So that's sort of the first touch point. What companies then usually do is they um, land on our website where they can book a personal quick consultation call with someone from our team um, where we walk them through the concept. Um, and then in the next step, basically have an on-site visit, really look at their space. Um, so that's for the case where they want to have plants in their office, not just to support their employees in the home office. So then really have a look at their space. What are the requirements there? Like, what do they want to achieve? And then create a design concept with mock-ups and mood boards for them. So that's all, mm -hmm. all free of charge. And then based on that concept, in most cases, we then proceed when the customer is happy and get the plants in there and start maintaining them on an ongoing basis. And so you then visit the office on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis to make sure that the plants are fine? Yeah, our team comes every two to three weeks. Depends a little bit on, on sort of yeah how the setup is in that office and also seasonality. Mm -hmm. And so what about the home office line that you started in 2020? How does that work? Yeah, so that obviously that was something that actually we came across uh, after I think the second office that we did um, was that people started obviously noticing. This was back when when everyone was still in the office, right? Like mm. January um, last year. And Good old people, days. <laughs> exactly. And then, so people would, would obviously notice when the, the office is transformed and there's a lot of plants in there. So they would ask, hey, where are the plants from? Can I also get some? So we had this in the back of our minds. And then obviously Corona happened and the concept of where we work and what the workplace is has fundamentally changed forever. And that then led us to accelerating our plans in terms of home office. Mm -hmm. And what we do, what we offer there is that we set up co-branded webshops for employers where the employees can uh, buy plants. So that's not a rental model, but they can buy plants through there and have them conveniently delivered to their homes. 
and then get care instructions from us as well. Okay, interesting. Okay, and did you see a lot of interest and a lot of demand from employees, uh, especially you know as the lockdowns kept being prolonged, I guess, and and lasted forever last year. Yeah, and in hindsight, it was absolutely the right decision, right, with uh, one lockdown after another. And yeah, we're super happy with with the demand there. And it's actually what's been also really, really popular is companies sending plants as gifts. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big topic for Christmas. Um, that's also a very nice solution to celebrate anniversaries, birthdays, occasions like that, where we have a, a lot of companies that sort of, um, regularly send plants as gifts to their to their employees. And yeah, so I would say it's it's been very well received and we're quite quite happy that we started that at the time yeah speaking of coronavirus that i mean it's very hard to avoid this topic even now what was it march 2020 corona happened what were the learnings nothing that you could think would ever happen for you when you were starting off a new business so yeah we were obviously like everyone quite surprised by that i think looking back for us what really sort of turned out to be a, a huge advantage is actually that we were at such an early stage because the advantages that you have at an early stage are speed and flexibility. Mm -hmm. So for example, our entire home office kind of offering, we I think launched within four or five days. So we were really able to, to move super quickly. We didn't have a lot of old processes in place that needed to be changed and updated. So we, we were able to react quickly. And I think that was the positive side of it. Of course, there was a lot of uncertainty at the time, but uh, we really, after a couple of kind of a couple of slower months on the B2B side, really saw the business pick up quite, mm -hmm. quite quickly. And I think in that regard, it was also to our advantage that the lockdowns were always kind of uh, renewed on a rolling basis every couple of months. Um, and they didn't say back then, okay, we're going to go into lockdown for a year or a year and a half. Mm -hmm. We should maybe mention that in Berlin, most offices remained kind of open. Like if you really needed to go back to the office, you can still go back to the office. It's not advised, but it's not prohibited. So I guess a lot of the offices that you still work with uh, or that, that, that you work with are still open. Absolutely. And we also took the took the time back then when when it was sort of when there was this initial uncertainty around Corona and mm -hmm. um, business was a little bit slower. We took the time to really invest into strategic growth channels. So we built up a lot of partnerships, for example, with architects and interior designers. Um, and now that's that's really helped us to professionalize the way that we work internally, especially on the design side, but obviously also through those partners um, to to access very, very cool and, and interesting projects. And those then tend to be projects that have been kind of like years in the making and are sort of companies strategically establishing a satellite office or, or a new HQ in Berlin. And those are then also projects that are not, that tend not to be canceled because of Corona, because these companies, from what we've seen, at least, they still see Berlin as a super important strategic location for them going forward. Yeah, I think if anything, Berlin is still going to remain one of those tech hubs that people want to be in and still a lot cheaper than London, still a lot cheaper than Paris, a great location to be in. And obviously an amazing city, hopefully, that hopefully reopens very, very quickly. But speaking of this very interesting partnerships with architects and designers and projects, what was the wildest project that you've guys done or the most extraordinary? Oh, that's a good question. We had a few kind of um, very extraordinary requests, I would say. I think the the wildest that we've done so far is one where we actually installed proper trees. I think they were like three to four meters high um, inside an office. And 
that was obviously a, a logistical challenge that we hadn't faced before um, with the average plant being like one to two meters high. Mm. Wow. So how did you go about it? Um, we have uh, luckily also in the meantime built up quite good good relationships with um, suppliers um, in the Netherlands. That's sort of where the plant industry has has its sort of core, I would say, in Europe. And those those are companies that have been around for a long time. So they they really have everything set up and also in terms of special vehicles to transport larger trees and, and the like. Mm, yeah, I bet they were like, been there, done that. Okay, that's cool. So you've survived the first lockdown, the second lockdown, everything is uh, rolling up the way it's supposed to be. So what are the plans for this year? Yeah, we're, we're quite excited, obviously, first of all, for uh, things hopefully to get back to normal a little bit more soon, um, but also for, for what our plans are this year. And we're basically working on two main things. One is expanding our home office product. So bringing this to employers in more cities across Europe. And we'll be expanding that actually next month already to first cover all of Germany and then step-by-step -step additional territories as well. For us, that's a super exciting expansion strategy because because it's obviously very scalable compared to our, our core kind of B2B subscription. Um, and it really allows us also to see how much demand there is in a city that we haven't launched in yet to inform where do we want to expand with our main product. So that's the one side. And the other side is that we're after Berlin and Hamburg right now in the process of launching a third city with our kind of core B2B subscription. Mm. Nice. Um, so that's also also very exciting. Is this third place a secret so far, or can you share where this is going to be? Is it south of Berlin or somewhere? It is. It is. It is to the south. Yeah. It is okay. I think we all know where it might be. That's amazing. I also think you know from this uh, home office perspective, I don't think a lot of people would usually think about gifting plans to their employees. Otherwise, like it's never been a part of any employee perk scheme, and it really is probably one of the most sustainable things that you can offer to people outside of maybe uh, some other wellness initiatives. I would assume that people would really jump on board and be be very happy about exploring that kind of option as opposed to, you know, I don't know, gifting people chocolates and, and things that are not very tangible. Yeah, it's, it's certainly different. And I mean, it's, it's great for uh, employers because it doesn't cost them anything to set up. So it's really in the first step, it's a free green employee perk, and then they can decide if they want to also give plants as, as gifts. And I think, I mean, from what we've seen also, especially in the US and UK, it's we're part of a, a broader trend and, and shift to e-commerce in the plant industry. I don't know if, if you've seen sort of recent funding rounds from plant-related e-commerce companies in the, in the US and UK mainly, but yeah, there's been crazy amounts of growth. And I think someone recently told me that it's only around 10% of all plant sales that are actually happening online. So there's, there's obviously a, a huge potential if you look at how other industries have shifted over the couple of past years. Yeah, I have to say, I'm not very familiar with the funding rounds in the plant industry. I mostly sit in gaming where the numbers are ridiculous for whatever is happening in there. But I imagine that also, yeah, with everyone moving really finally to this digital space and digital sales, and it, there was no other way to keep on going without doing that last year. That makes a lot of sense, even though I feel, again, Berlin is very also specific in that sense. And I feel like that also buying plants 
you know, in that old school way used to also be kind of a pastime. I felt like you would go to Mauer Park or you would go on Saturday to Bauhaus and just get a huge plant that you couldn't really carry or buy something. The other thing that happened a lot, I think, was people just reselling plants on classifieds. Of course, now, first of all, there's not a lot of options to go buy them in a more convenient way than anything you can get delivered to your door. That's, that's probably perfect. Do you also do some community online training? Do you have like online resources where people can uh, log into and see, you know, this is my plan, this is what I do? Yeah, we do not so much community focus yet, although that's uh, also a super interesting area to explore. What we do at the moment is, so with your plant delivery, you get a QR code that you can scan and then you have a care guide that sits on our website. We think for now that's sufficient. Also looking at sort of what's happening in terms of apps in mm -hmm. our space, we feel like there's, there's not a huge value of having a standalone app for plant care because uh, you just need to have, I think, some, some basic briefing and knowledge and then probably a, a weekly uh, reminder to put some water in. Um, and most phones already have that. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we, yeah, we feel that works for now. I think, yeah, I think the reminder is probably, right, the, the kind of the golden bullet is what you want, because that's the hardest part. Initially, when we started talking, you mentioned that when you were doing the user research, you thought that B2C market wouldn't really work. But in the end of the day, it kind of went B2B2C. It's interesting that some, some products and some services really grow very organically through that channel, as opposed to the direct to consumer channel. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think... From my perspective, in the B2C model, what, what, is, what doesn't work super well at the moment, at least in, in my mind, is people paying for an app, for example, right? So mm -hmm. if, you're, if your Spotify and your Netflix cost you 10 euros a month each, then how much are you willing to pay for an app that helps you take care of your plants, right? I mean, the, the value um, that, that uh, like subscriptions deliver like a Spotify is just is, is crazy for 10 euros a month. And obviously, that's what you compare it to as a consumer. And for us, the B2B2C, it evolved kind of naturally from, from what we were doing. But I think what's the interesting part about it from a business model perspective is if you compare it to, to just straight up e-commerce is that um, we eliminate the customer acquisition cost uh, by marketing through the employer. And that's what, what makes it super interesting um, from our perspective. Yeah, so you're a proof that growth hacking still works in 2021. You can still do your marketing through growth hacking. A lot of people talk about this, right? Like how to still be able to growth hack, just do customer acquisition on a $0 budget. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, past Airbnb, there's nothing left. You, you know, they've explored all the options. There's nothing left, but there's still very interesting ways of, of doing that. And you guys are an amazing proof of that. We have one last question that I had for you on predicting the future and future of work and because your core business is still predicated on the regular physical office. And we've seen definitely throughout this second lockdown, especially here in, in Berlin, that people really crave going back to the office. And I've also, you know, as I'm speaking to um, a lot of leaders and managers and, and CEOs, even though people are adjusting well and definitely are able and are resilient and are able to work from home, but they do miss the office a lot. What, what's your take on future of work from the perspective of your business and also from the perspective of, of being a founder? 
Yeah, super interesting and relevant topic for us, obviously. I think what we expect, and, and that's sort of what most people that I've spoken to agree with, is that there's going to be a sort of a little bit of a shift back to the office once it's possible. And there's going to be like a, a healthy mix between remote and in-office work. And we're really focused on with Plant Club on helping companies cater to both. We What we see a lot right now is companies actually redesigning their offices, which is much easier to do when no one is in the office. Um, and that's really about transforming the space from having lots of tables and desks in an open space more towards having um, sort of safe spaces for collaboration, for creatively working together. And companies like to, to use uh, plants and, and sort of our design services there to make that transformation. And then obviously also we will keep the home office offering and, and try to support both sides there. Um, and assume that it will be kind of a 50-50 split um, in the future. Yeah, I guess right now you guys are the best person to contact, especially that you're in touch with designers and architects, and you can also bring that fresh eye to the office space and help redesign it in a way so that it brings more of that green to the office and also brings in more of that opportunity to really have people collaborate in in those in those spaces as opposed to just having desks and one plant in the corner like we did and then it died it really wasn't a successful a successful mission and i think to answer the second part of your question so for me personally or as a founder i think also happy um, when people are, are just more flexible in terms of they can work where they want to work because of course you meet a lot of people who work super well in the remote only setting some companies obviously also have shifted to a sort of permanent remote setup, um, but also lots of people really do miss this collaboration and, and social aspect that just get lost. So I'm quite happy because I know that not everyone has been as fortunate as us in terms of having a very flexible, having their own office in a very flexible setup. So yeah, happy when, when people can then work uh, again in the way that suits them best. Yeah, I think the best thing that came out of this shift was a lot of reassurance going back to the leadership and C-level management, that people actually are able to work from wherever they are. And that there's there doesn't need to be any fear that if you allow people to be in the office just half the week and then half the week at home, that work is not going to be done. Like work will be will get done anyway, regardless. But that flexibility allows for people to um, I think ease off a little bit and feel a little bit more at peace with, with wherever they are and and hopefully helps the retention to stay at a high, high level. Okay, well, that concludes all my five questions. Thank you so much, Max, for answering all of them. I think the initiative and just the business, your vision and your mission to what you're trying to achieve here, first of all, in Berlin, then in Hamburg, then south of Germany, and then hopefully around the country and uh, internationally, I would hope, in the next couple of years is wonderful. And I'll make sure to put you in touch with anyone who needs some support on making their office beautiful and more sustainable. The next segment that we have is my favorite VP roulette, which are three random questions out of 10. So you need to pick three numbers and then you'll get to answer some of my weird questions. Sure. Um, I'm going to go with one, five, and 10. Question one is cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Why? Because they're more, more friendly and they... I mean, they're also like obviously relying more on, on their owners or human counterparts. But I think if someone is looking for, like for me, the, the point in having or getting a pet is to kind of yeah, have a connection with them. 
and engage with them. And that just doesn't really seem possible with, with cats um, as much as it is with dogs. I agree. And question number five is, what are you most curious about these days? That's a good question. I think lots of things. I mean, business-wise, obviously, how our, our sort of growth and expansion plans will, will play out on a personal level. It's more about yeah, how we as a society emerge from this corona pandemic mm. um, with everything that's been going on. I think lots of things to be to be curious about and lots of change happening in the world, which hopefully is, is more, more good than bad. Mm. What do you see so far when it comes to the social changes? Well, I think like we could we could easily do another um, episode of the podcast on this. But um, I mean, obviously, with with what's been happening in, in, the, in the US and democracies kind of all over, that's that's quite worrying and kind of the, the sort of populism and shifts that have been going on there. But um, I hope what it what it ultimately leads to is kind of a greater engagement of the wider public um, who then kind of hopefully stand up um, for what, what they believe in and what they think it's right and don't let um, kind of uh, minorities um, with, with sort of more extreme views kind of um, yeah, influence the direction of, of where we're all going um, in, the, in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope, right? That we're not going to let radicalized minorities, like you mentioned, take control over the majority. And then the last question is, what's the most important skill for success in the remote environment? I would say it's probably, I mean, this is not only in the remote environment, but even more so in the remote environment, it's probably discipline in the sense of keeping very clear kind of schedules and, uh, and habits for yourself. Because obviously, if you don't have, if you don't have things like a commute um, or things like this, that kind of kind of give your day and your schedule a natural rhythm structure, and, yeah. and structure, then you have to create that for yourself. And I think that's that's super important um, in the context of remote work. Mm, yeah, agreed, agreed. Morning routines. Do you have a morning routine? Well, I go to the office, right? That's my morning routine. So I'm a bad example, but uh, I try I tried to um, be a little bit active in the morning and do a, do a workout. Yeah, I work out with Beat 81 because that's the easiest in the mornings. So you do you do a morning workout. Do you have like an evening routine then? Something that you kind of do for yourself? It really depends on, on work. So obviously these days we're quite quite busy, but I try to cook something in the evening. Um, just to sort of um, switch off a little bit and um, get some fresh food uh, mm -hmm. because just days after days of kind of uh, delivery takeout. foods and takeout uh, gets boring pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe in a month or two, we'll be able to go back to restaurants and, and eating out. That would be, that would be really nice. Uh, cooking aside, one last bit we have is you asking me a question. What I'm quite interested to get your opinion on is the podcast industry has been growing super, super quickly. Um, I, mean, I think I started listening to podcasts last year and I feel like everyone that I know also got into podcasts, especially with, with uh, Corona and people having more time. And there's been huge amounts of investment in original content, right? In, in streaming with Netflix and Amazon, but also more recently with Spotify um, focusing um, on podcasts and I think mm -hmm. they're doing it with Joe Rogan they did this huge deal and I was wondering so for you as a, as a podcast host um, how do you see the industry evolving and what are kind of the current trends opportunities and risks there 
Mm. I got into podcasts also just very recently, which is last year with coronavirus. And I feel like that's been, that was very late compared to the the rest of the humanity. Uh, My favorite podcasts are actually uh, stand-up comedians podcasts, like Bill Bear's uh, Monday morning podcast, which is just the best podcast I think that's out there. Him ranting for hours about (laughs) NFL and um, politics is hilarious and I love it. But I also got into into other podcasts and more more of those business related. And I think there's still going to be a lot of demand for that kind of content and especially for very interesting conversations that you would otherwise not have the ability to listen into with the rise of Clubhouse. This is changing a little bit where the drop-in audio conversations and those conversations can actually happen within those apps, but they're ephemeral. And so they're they're never recorded. And sometimes some of those rooms, when they happen, they are recording it. And so it seems like they're going to try to combine the two. But I believe that this uh, curated and well-produced content, or at least, you know, edited to an extent so that it's um, nicer to listen to and easier to listen to is still going to stay very relevant, especially for people like me who listen to every podcast on 2x speed, where in the regular conversation and those live conversations, you have no control over how fast people talk. And sometimes, even though I still think that they're all very interesting, I do, I don't mind when they're sped up for me because I can still consume the content in a way, in an understandable and easy way for me, but I don't want them to be that slow. So, so I think for me, this makes, um, this still, this medium makes a lot of sense. And I think it's not going anywhere. I don't know if it's going to evolve into, you know, more video heavy um, type of medium because we've had that for a long time where you could do, you know, long um, interviews on television. And, and I think that also requires more attention because it requires your um, also your visual attention, which, which then blocks you from doing anything else. And the big advantage of podcasts is that they are more of a companion during your day and while you're doing other things. So I think there's still going to be a lot of it. I think the bigger trend or the bigger challenge that I'm seeing is discovery. So how do you discover content that's relevant to you more so that you're bombarded with whatever an algorithm suggests to you? And I think that that, that unpopular opinion about the user having the ultimate responsibility on how they discover their own content and how they create or curate their, their own universe of what they receive is where I stand. I think people will have to spend, cannot rely as much on platforms to deliver the content to them they will need to start seeking out the type of content that they want. And it's uh, it requires more time, it requires effort, but then the, the reward is also much more significant in that sense. You're definitely able to find something that will bring you more joy or more reward. And, and I think in that sense, makes makes more sense. I don't know if that technically answers the questions the question, but I think podcasts are not going to go anywhere and uh, creating your own content it's important, especially if you have something to say, or in my case, if you're interested in other people and want to give them a platform to speak about it. But how will they evolve in terms of some additions? I don't see them going more, uh, like becoming more and more complicated. I think this is going to be quite sustainable in the form that it is right now. 
Makes sense. Yeah, definitely cool to see to see um, this kind of explosion in in content, um, also in terms of podcasts. And I agree with you that it makes it harder to find what you're interested in. But um, obviously, it's generally good that there's more choice um, and interesting podcasts to choose from. Mm. I also have found myself, you know, binging on some podcasts and then at some point seeing that their content, when the content becomes very repetitive to me and I see that, okay, the theme is pretty stable and every now and again, I just hear the same things. I just move on to something else. And it also helped me find maybe similar, but not necessarily identical podcasts that also now I find more interesting. The other super important thing about podcasts is that this is most of the time for those podcasts, it's that the content is evergreen. It's not going to go anywhere, right? Like it's there forever. So you can always go back to it, to podcasts that have been recorded, you know, five years ago, three years ago, a year ago, and uh, still get the value out of it. So that's, that's another awesome thing about that. True. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, Max, for being on the podcast and spending your Friday afternoon with me. Uh, we will definitely link to everything you're doing and to the website and so that people can reach out to you and check out your amazing social media as well because it's also very cool what you guys are doing on your social media channels and um, yeah hopefully you'll make berlin a greener a very much a greener place and other cities in germany as well yeah thank you thank you for having me on and i'll definitely pass on the compliments on our social media and, and online presence because that's not not me um, who's who's doing that then you've hired the right people so that's also awesome <laughs> good to hear cool thanks so much